Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Open your hearts, tighten your masks. It's time for couples therapy. Yeah, this podcast is Andy and Naomi's, where they can both laugh and hang with all their homies, talking excellent vacationing with brunches and cuddling, to messy situations, shits and conscious and coupling, from Netflix hookups to single them with some Hulu, text sex, regrets, or feeling on your new jubu. They gon' talk about it, ah, yeah, you are invited, ah, needing therapy, I guarantee, baby, we got it. It's Hello, everyone, and welcome to a bonus episode of Couples Therapy. My name is Naomi. My name is Andy. We're a real-life couple. A real-life couple of comedians. And on this episode of Couples Therapy, we talking about the Coco. Yes, COVID-19, as you know. The and- novel coronavirus. Andy and I talk a lot about covid this is what this episode is about. So if you're sick of hearing about the Coco, you can skip this one. I'm going to tell you that up top. Okay? That's why we did it as a bonus. We did it as a bonus. You, you ain't got to get into it if you don't want to be bothered. You have your relief for the week on <laughs> Tuesday. Friday, we're going to make you anxious, question mark? We're going we're, we're gonna to share some experience, strength, and hope from professionals. Yes, I now, like that. Offhandedly, How did it come to be, Andy? Offhandedly, uh, I don't know, weeks ago, months ago, we had just said, Hey, uh, we don't know how to live in this world. (laughs) Are any of our listeners epidemiologists? And initially we said, would they be willing to answer our questions? Yes. And then we noticed on socials, we got a lot of listeners saying, well, could we hear the answers? Yes. Can you share those answers with us? And I want to say this. A number of epidemiologists wrote us. Okay. To think that we have that high level of listenership. To think that we've got these people who know things listening to us yap at the mouth. (laughs) I can't believe it. Oh, Naomi, I don't know if you know this, but I used to be an academic, so... It literally turns my stomach. (laughs) The voice or the sentiment or both? Both. The voice (laughs) and just saying it. Not the fact that you were it, but saying it and that voice. Mm, mm, Fair (laughs) enough. You know what? I can can see it from your point of view. (laughs) But uh, uh, one of uh, the people that we talked to today, Zoe, was the first one to reach out. Yes. And thank you to everyone who did reach out. So kind of you to offer your time. Um, we also, you know, part of also, you know, Zoe reached out first. Also, be, you know, we kind of went in that we went with them because we wanted to get this out before the holidays. We wanted to get this out 
to see if it could be of service to people as they start to gather indoors for these holidays, you know, in a lot of places where it's chilly out. And we just thought, well, maybe this can give people some information so or they can be prepared. Maybe we can help them and uh, uh, give them the evidence they need to not have to go indoors if they don't want to. Well, I think that's easier said than done. All right. The weather outside is frightful. So the but, idea, though, is having all of these things. And right. so we um, just thought that they would answer the questions off the cuff. But I, I want to just put out there Zoe and Mishi. Yes. Zoe Spieler and Michelle Dressner. OK, these are our professionals. These are our professionals. They did an actual survey of the studies so it wasn't just like we thought we'd be like oh hey is this safe and they'd be like no or yes or whatever yeah they surveyed all the literature and all the studies can you believe that it's in, it's they <laughs> talk about understanding the assignment uh-huh. i didn't even know it was an assignment because literally we sent them a list of questions we didn't even know how many that they would be able to answer or what we could get through in the time allotted and i thought they would just like no yes or no and then they're like okay we're gonna go do the research and then I think it was like a few weeks they got back to us being like, now that we've done our due diligence, we can answer your questions. Yeah. So, you know, they didn't take it lightly. They no. didn't come to play. They and, said, here's the info. And Zoe sent me an email. I have to share it with you, Naomi. But Zoe sent me an email afterwards with more literature on some of the questions can that... Imagine? Can you imagine? <laughs> that we that we had towards the end that maybe they didn't know exactly. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And also a note, just a note, the dominant form is hv1 at the moment at the moment. zoe sent me she's, she's like hey i just wanted to make sure i said it was something else yeah she said eg5 uh-huh. she said eg5 but she's like hey i made a mistake it's actually hv1 at the moment so the dominant form in the united states hv1 just so just yeah just to clarify because you're going to hear a different combo later yeah but just to know that up top you know just kind of before we get into it and kind of talking you know andy and i the feeling of like this was an interesting conversation in terms of you know i think what i wanted was for these two professionals who have been in this and are studying this and patterns in general, right, of how diseases spread and how you can mitigate that within a community. What I wanted them to tell me is that (laughs) my level of caution and anxiety is warranted and correct, and these are all the things that can happen. Yeah, please validate us. That is Validate (laughs) me! That's really what we wanted from this. We wanted them to say, hey, you know, everything you're doing, you're absolutely safe. You will never, if you do exactly what you're doing, you'll never get it. Yeah. There's, there is a a 0%. In fact, it's a negative percent probability. (laughs) You'll probably get healthier. I mean, let's be honest. I, outside of the fact that I did get COVID once, I haven't gotten any other sickness in the last three years from masking all the time. And and when I did get it, it was when I took the mask off for a second. In a crowded indoor space. To uh, drink some soda. Around a bunch of people who have been running around Hollywood getting cocoa yeah but the point is you know what so that's what that's what i wanted that's what i was looking into and, and you know and to sit down with actual scientists. scientists you realize the extent to which they're not going to give you that not at this phase in the disease and what we're learning right because you know and it was funny because me she works for the government and like up top she's like this does not reflect on my employer you know I think when you're working at that high level, you are also very careful, not simply about, you know, your employer as much as you've learned how important it is to be accurate. You've learned how important it is to disseminate the correct information. And they ain't going to come with the half measures. The same reason why they did all that research, right? They're like, I'm not just going to pop off at the mouth and just say something. Right. I'm going to make sure, you know, 
that this has been studied and corroborated and reviewed before I even say it to you. Sure. Well, that's the difference between an actual scientist and some schmuck on Twitter who is like, I did my own research. And it's just like, what? Did you actually do peer-reviewed tests? Because that's science. Right, right. You have a hypothesis, you test it, then you retest it, you have other people test it. Yeah. You you have the consensus. I think this is the thing that our conversation with Zoe and Michelle revealed to me for real. And I knew this from studying it. I studied... I mean, I know I was uh, being... Uh, a Frasier before when I was talking, mm-hmm. but like, you know, I did study philosophy of science, so I know the actual way in which science works, but to actually experience it. And this is what this conversation really hit home for me is when you're living in a world where you have to act, you have to live, you have to do, mm-hmm. you have to like go and do things in a world where there is not a consensus over what, the threats are yet mm-hmm. it's very difficult because you still have to do things right where and and you know and we're trying to in these crevices figure out well okay is this nasal spray working what about this mouthwash what about right. this thing what about this other thing and we're all trying to like kind of like work together and i like that community aspect mm-hmm. of the covid conscious folks where yeah. we're all trying to be like well, okay, this scientist says this thing, but mm-hmm. it's not peer-reviewed yet, mm-hmm. but it's promising. Right. And this uh, and this thing and this thing and we're all trying to like, okay, well, let's just do that and hope <laughs> hope that is actually not hurting us. Right. Like, right. Well, the extent to which too like the science uh and research takes a while and we're 3 yes. years in. Yes. So, for instance, you know, and one of the things too they were talking about too is the difference between correlation and causation. Yep. And the extent to which, okay, something like long COVID and what that all looks like, it's going to take a while before there is a consensus definitive A to B. You get this and this happens. Or you get this and you have a 20% chance of this happening. Because there is a correlation between some things. But, it, you know, three years in, you know, people perhaps not even knowing where to go with whatever they're dealing with means that it's going to take a while before the studies can even be done on a large enough population to then tell you this means this. Or just people do not have the explanatory framework. And this is partly the government's fault for not putting out enough information and right. not and like ending the the emergency and all this other kind of stuff. But like, you know, there's like morons on I mean there's decent people on Twitter, but like like Laura Loomer, who's this like lunatic, right? <laughs> who's just like, you know, is it just me or is is food bad since 2020? It doesn't have any taste anymore. And <laughs> it's just like you have long COVID, right? But you, you don't have the taste, explanatory because right. you don't believe that it's real or you don't believe COVID is real or whatever. You don't have the explanatory framework to explain your lack of taste. So you assume that food, like it's right. 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 Food is tasteless now, as opposed to you have a disease that has changed your body. Right, 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 right. I mean, there was one thing that, you know, I did feel like at first I was, I kind of, I was like, Oh gosh, I'm not sure. Does this mean I shouldn't be doing what I'm doing? But you know, both Zoe and Michelle said totally, masks work yep n95 and kn95 are the gold standard they use that phrase gold standard and if you wear those particularly in indoor spaces you will be as protected as you can be 
against COVID. Yeah. They also said, you know, and I'm just kind of top lining this in case it gets a little in the weeds as you're listening. They also said too, get the updated vaccine. Cause that's the other thing. And this is part of what you said about, you know, not people not getting information clearly what's going around right now. What's being offered right now is not a booster. It is an updated vaccine to account for the changes in the virus. Unless, and I even remember this from Bio 101. The virus will keep changing as long as it has hosts in which to change who are not vaccinated, who cannot like squash it within their own body quickly enough or well enough. So they, they mentioned how it's like, as of now, like 13% of people have gotten the updated vaccine. Well, at those numbers, we just going to keep getting remixes and we'll never kind of get ahead of this thing Yeah, to get it to a level where, I mean, I doubt eradicate it, but certainly small enough that it's not hospitalizing thousands of people a week. Yeah. I was thinking of this too in the wake of us talking to them that like how slow science works. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's established now. I don't know how many people like know what relativity really is besides like, hey, it's the white haired freak from Oppenheimer. Like, it's Albert Einstein. Okay. Einstein. Okay. Sure. 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 One way to <laughs> talk about him. <laughs> but his paper on relativity was from was it 1911 mm-hmm. it was not established it didn't even start to be established until 1919 when this guy eddington went and did some calculations there was a eclipse i believe uh sorry this is from memory. an eclipse like a total eclipse of the heart yes okay i didn't know if you meant there but were eclipse but instead of a heart it was the uh sun yeah yeah, yeah total right. eclipse uh-huh and they he was able to do some calculations at that eclipse that proved that einstein's calculations were correct mm-hmm. so that was eight years right right between, before it yeah. between the paper landing and then it starting to be established as fact and right. really if you look at thomas kuhn's paradigms you know his explanation of paradigms you kind of have to wait for the old guard to die out <laughs> like the more like like we're all waiting like no offense if you are a boomer but yeah 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 yeah, yeah loose yeah. your gri- loose your icy grip on this world my friends and let greta thunberg take over <laughs> okay that's what we need that's what we need <laughs> um but yeah this was you know i think again the takeaways being wear a mask they do work avoid crowded indoor spaces and also something i kind of took from michelle because michelle's over in germany working with obviously and I think both of them, Michelle and Zoe, because they work in communities that believe in science, understand the effects of COVID as much as they do at this point, they're around people who take it seriously. Like Michelle said, she's like, I work in a, I go to work, right? She's in, at work, but she's at work around people who, if they get sick, they ain't coming into work. People who I'm sure will put on a mask if they need to inside, inside the office. People who will test. And you could, and I imagine that also that sense of being in community or on the same page with people that does allow you to move a bit more freely. Yeah. You know, um, one thing I also got too that I I was, it it bummed me out, but it was also like something I kind of want to underline something that I want people to hear too. You know, the lifting of the public health emergency has removed, um, any COVID precautions on film and television sets. The actors union, who, who I struck for, mm. basically said when the public health emergency was lifted in May 11th, that lifted everything on sets. And talking to Michelle and Zoe, one of my questions is like, is there any way I can do this safely? And the answer was no. The answer, it wasn't just no full stop, but they were like, 
well, can you, you wear a mask? I'm like, nope. Can you socially distance? Nope. Well, then I don't know what to tell you. And I think, you know, hearing from two epidemiologists that that's the case, you know, that to me is a call for renewed protections on sets mm. that should not be, the burden shouldn't be on an individual actor to try to go up the chain and get someone to care. It should be as simple as this thing is real. It's still affecting people. And there's no way to do your job without these basic mitigation measures, or rather there's no way to do your job safely without these basic mitigation measures. And you know, that, that was, that was, I was like, Oh, great, great. I got to start to fight. I got, I got to, I got to be ready to fight the good fight, but I also may lose. And then what, what's, what is the question? You know, what, what is the next step? Nasal photo disinfection. I mean, this is the stuff but we again, have to look into. We don't know. And we also, the research hasn't been done for long enough to know if it's, you know, how effective is it? 80%, 100%. And then also given the fact that it all has to do with how much virus you're exposed to. If I'm on a set with 80 people and let's say 10% of them got COVID. Well, now I don't know how much my body can fight off in a given exposure and now repeat that exposure over many days. But this we don't know. We, yep, don't we don't know. know. That's the whole thing. We don't we know. We don't know. But we do know it is a risk and it is, you but, know, you but, can do most things with a mask on except act for act on a camera. But this is the thing that I'm thinking. <laughs> I'm like, at what point will people start doing tests on like, all right, so you have to be unmasked in this area. Okay. Well, what if you do this nose spray? And then you take every half hour, you take a swig of Listerine. Is that going to protect you? And then you have like, you know, hypochlorous acid, uh, you know, eye drops. Is, and, is and then this protecting you? Right. And then there's also the question of, okay, if you do those things with that frequency, what are the effects of doing that? Sure. There's one thing that's, you know... Uh, give yourself a nasal spray twice a day. There's another to do it every hour. And what's going to happen to your nasal passages? What's going to happen to your brain? That's all stuff TBD. Um, but but we're figuring out in this moment. You know, it's this thing like I think about like the COVID conscious community started referring to it as a vascular disease, right? Because if you get it, there's a statistical prob probability that it will hurt your organs, right? It'll get in your your blood vessels, and it'll right. you, know, you could have blood clots, you could have strokes, you could have heart disease, all this other kind of stuff, right? But when I said that when we were talking to Zoe and Michelle, they were like, "Well, it's a respiratory disease with." Vasc I forget what they said exactly vascular repercussions or something mm -hmm. like that right we're like we're a little more loose because we have to live in the world and we see the damage it's doing but I don't think we're not loose we're a little more actually hardliner I think because we have to go in the world we say this is dangerous and as a result we're going to act in x way to protect ourselves but no no what I'm trying to say that's not what I'm talking about what I'm trying to say is that we are more loose with the way we talk about these things uh -huh. as opposed to scientists who are like, well, no, no, we have, this is the data that, uh, and this is, now. this is how the data supports how we're going to talk about it. Mm -hmm. And until there is proof because it is inhaled mostly, right? Right. We're going to call it a respiratory disease, even though it does fucked up things to yeah. your body after that. Or at least there's a statistical probability that it will do fucked up things to your body. You know, like whatever Canada just put out their statistics thing, just put out a study. I think yesterday or the day before that we're recording this intro where they're like. 
you have a 38%. If you've had it three times, you have a 38% chance of having long COVID by that time. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. and other like I think forty percent is the now like kind of accepted standard percentage. Whereas you know, a year ago, uh, you know, most professional places weren't talking about long COVID right. or like you know right, right, right. eighteen months ago, whatever your time frame right. is for right for this. It's just interesting. They're like, okay, well, we'll talk about this when we have the data s- to support that X exists, whatever X is. Right. Right. So uh, that was a long introduction, but (laughs) hopefully you will take some information, some renewed sense of like, I guess, confidence in whatever caution you may have at this point. Um, But I think it's without further ado, honey, we're going to have to roll it. Okay, you guys, the episode you've been clamoring for. Okay, because yep. people have been asking. The episode we've literally been hiding in our apartment for three years, <laughs> waiting we for, could waiting for this. Do you want to both introduce yourselves? Introduce your backgrounds, yes. just to the listeners, just so they have some context. Yes, absolutely. So my name is Zoe Spieler. I'm an infectious disease epidemiologist by training. I received a master of public health degree in epidemiology with a specific focus on infectious disease epidemiology and a minor in health disparities from the University of Texas Health Science Center at Houston mm. in 2019. Mm. I, worked at, I worked at the City of Houston Health Department starting March 2020 as a COVID epidemiologist. Oh, no. <laughs> and from, from there, I went on to work in tuberculosis and neglected tropical disease, translational medicine, and clinical research. Right now, I work as a clinical research manager at an academic <clears throat> medical center in New York, and I make sure to stay up to date with infectious disease literature, including in respect to COVID. And I'm happy to be here today with my good friend, Mishi, who I've known since our first year at Smith College. Wow. Okay. Wow. A long lasting friendship. Mishi, tell us, sis. Awesome. So my name is Michelle Dressner, but I go by Mishi for short. Um, and I graduated from Harvard University with my master's in public health and epidemiology in 2022. Um, so I've worked for uh, federal statistical surveys involving occupational safety and health, as well as disability data. So very data heavy. And now I'm a public health advisor and I work with infectious disease across the continent of Africa. Wow. wow. Okay. So y'all, <laughs> we got two people who know what's up. Okay. And Zoe listens to couples therapy and yeah. that's beautiful. And religious. Yeah. Okay. So, honor, can I also honor. say tuberculosis? This is the thing that's been driving me nuts a little bit lately is that the CDC classifies COVID as a level three biohazard along with West Nile virus and tuberculosis. Uh, diseases, I'm pretty sure most people are like, oh yeah, I don't want to have that. But then when it comes to COVID, everyone's just like, I'll get it eight times a year. <laughs> uh, it doesn't matter. Uh, even though it's classified, literally like- Andy I, is I, gripping I his head I'm gripping for the my listener. Head because I, when I, I, I've just been thinking about this for the last couple of weeks. Just about, I'm like, it's the same category as tuberculosis. The, th- the thing that killed one of the little women. <laughs> <laughs> Mishi, can you tell me just before we get into it, what does Zoe tell you? How did you agree to do this? Because aren't you in Germany <laughs> at the moment? You know? I am actually. Um, so this is one of Zoe's favorite podcasts. I've been listening a little bit in the last uh-huh. week or two um, just to get versed in, in what you all do. And I also think it's great. But uh, I think it's really neat that Zoe and I went to undergraduate together and we're dear friends. And 
we are both working in the same field, but we still have really different specialties because she did a lot of biology in undergraduate and I did statistics. So I think we actually complement each other really well. Um, and I yeah. think that this will be a really engaging episode with the statistical perspective with my background as well as Zoe's background. And I do have one disclaimer before we start because I work for the federal government. I have to say this. Um, so the views in the podcast are my own personal views and they don't represent my current position or work. So Fair. just for all listeners, it's me, Mishi, today <laughs> <But it's, laughs> as an epidemiologist. Yeah. It is interesting, though. There, there are two places where if you want the most accurate information ever, it's going to be the military or the Financial Times. Because to deploy the military somewhere or for some, a wealthy person to invest somewhere, they have to actually know what reality is like. So you're going to get actual. Yeah. So in your professional capacity, even if this wasn't just you on your own. We would be like, okay, yes, I trust that because right. you can't have the you can't deploy the military somewhere with everyone like coughing and hacking and like <laughs> having a stroke every like three weeks or whatever. Um, I don't know what the statistics are. I, is anyone? Is that sorry? <laughs> no, this we have a, to get to our questions because okay, we have questions. We Can I just have... ask this off the cuff? And it, the, you may not know the answer to this. Is anyone keeping statistics at all on post COVID strokes and heart attacks? Or is that just like everyone's just like, uh, let it go in the wind? Because anecdotally, it seems like more people in their 20s, 30s, and 40s are having strokes and heart attacks. That's anecdotal, though. So I don't know what the scientific yeah, is anything is. tracking. So we will touch on that very briefly uh, within the context of the questions that we're really excited to answer, um, because I threw in a quick blurb on long COVID. And there is a lot of monitoring happening right now for oh, that's good. health issues post COVID. So it's ongoing research. Um, some of it is published. Some of it is in progress. I'll punt to Zoe. Yeah, I completely agree. I mean, there's no specific um, source that I can cite right now, mm -hmm. but I know that there's a ton of it's happening. You know, well, that's ongoing. that's yeah, it's definitely happening. Okay, okay so yeah. let's okay. break it down with these questions. So, you know, I think something that for both Andy and I has sort of um, increased our vigilance, increased our concern is the removal of public health measures, right? To sort of both mitigate. act to mitigate any of any of the spread. And so there's a sense, I think, is like we're like, okay, I guess I just behave as though everyone I come in contact with has COVID. Like for safety. Yeah. Like to it's sort a real, of to like, be safe. It's a real like I have to be suspicious of every person. Because I don't know. And because it's a, a it's epistemologically opaque. I just have no I don't have enough information right. to know who has it or how what the concentration is in the whatever place I'm in. So I just pretend like it it's in my face at all times, which is not mentally which is, yeah, not mentally good. helpful. It, it's not good for me. <laughs> so for my mental health. Mishi, this might be one of yours, um, which is sort of like and this may not be answerable, but sort of like What's the percentage of people you can statistically assume have COVID in a given time? Obviously, there's talks of spikes, and I don't even know kind of what it looks like when there's not a spike, but is there any way you can game that at this point? Yeah, so just to go back to what you mentioned originally uh, at the beginning of the question about public health measures, common sense COVID precautions, I was just going to, um, you know, point out that there are a few components to this question, so we could break it down into three sections common sense precautions, and then statistical assumptions of COVID, and then methodology uh, for publicly available data sources. 
that can be used to assess the likelihood of being infected with COVID. Mm, okay, honey, I so- have chills. I have chills. <laughs> I said, bring me the fact. Just, just to hear another adult be like, no, no, this is, you should take some precautions. And here's, here's some ideas is, uh, 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 I- I'm almost weeping with, with joy. <laughs> So when we talk about common sense COVID precautions, what are we talking about? Well, that refers to, one, staying away from sick people. Mm -hmm. Two, staying home when you yourself are sick. Three, masking. Mm. Four, proper hand hygiene. So washing with soap and water for at least 20 seconds or singing the happy birthday song twice. And five, staying away from crowded indoor spaces. And then six, testing. Mm -hmm. Um, So now I'll, I'll bounce back to Mishi for the the next part of the question on statistics. Which is a really great question. And my answer is it's really neither easy nor straightforward to use statistics to calculate the number of infected people you might encounter. So when we're talking about that assumption of COVID in a given space, what we're getting at here is the probability that one person has an active COVID infection and is shedding the virus in a space at a given time and that you've crossed that person and are in contact with them. Mm -hmm. So there are some really rough ways that you can calculate this, um, but then the numbers vary so much from area to area and across different regions and populations. Um, So that's really Mm -hmm. a tricky question to answer. There might be certain populations who are less vaccinated than other populations, and there are other factors at play, like how conscientious people are in different areas of the country about public health measures. So what I recommend is your local health department and seeing how many clusters are in the area where you live. Local health departments sometimes track and surveil in your area really quite well. Um, And then it's also good to be an excellent steward of public health and minimize risks by taking the COVID precautions that Zoe talked about. And also ensuring that you're vaccinated. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. I mean, you, you had asked us before what our precautions are. <laughs> so uh, in public, well, in indoors N95 and outdoors, I wear a KN95 depending on how dense it is. Sometimes if it's pretty smart, if I can stand far apart from someone, I won't wear it. Uh, we use a Novid uh, as a nasal spray. Uh, we use CPC mouthwash before going in anywhere. Or and be, after. And after. Yep. And uh, if we're inside somewhere, we have an air purifier. Pretty close to the face. Pretty so close it's to layer face. on layer on layer. And that is just to go to the grocery store. <laughs> <laughs> like that is like the baseline. Yeah. And then if Naomi is doing stand up, it's all that stuff. And then she's unmasked for 10 to 15 minutes kind of but you know one of the bigger issues I have is as an actor what it is you know there was a time until May 11th where they had to by law have testing and masking and now that is no longer required and a lot of places you know sets have especially been like well it costs so much money for all the COVID protocols so it's going to be the first thing to go and so that's one of those situations where in order to act I cannot cover my face And that is where my biggest anxiety comes from, because this is the biggest dream I've ever had. And now I don't know how to pursue that without taking a major risk. Um, And it's the only area of my life where I can't be protected. Yeah. So Um, that we've been like looking into like, all right, well, what about this? Uh, You know, I saw the band Kiss was going on tour and they're using 
nasal photo disinfection. <laughs> and I'm like, well, is that a thing that's right. like we can do? Or is that is that pseudoscience? You know, it's like I have to do all this research on my own now to figure out whether it's real science or pseudoscience. And then know? how effective it is. And then how effective it actually is. And then, mm. yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's really a good question. And, and I had another brief uh, point to that. There are some really interesting scientific literature pieces on mathematical models to examine risk of airborne particle spreading. So I have a couple of favorites. I can send them to you for sure. If you read the abstract and the conclusion, it'll summarize pretty well for you. Thank you. I love an abstract and a conclusion. That's me. Okay. That's my level of scientific knowledge. It is abstract and conclusion. And maybe our listeners can relate. Okay. If somebody, you can relate, honey, we can read three paragraphs. We can do that. I like methodology. I like reading how they designed the experiment. Cause then I'm like, okay, you thought through how to do this. It wasn't just, cause most people I would say there's like, yeah, science happens. I don't know. What, I'm sorry that I used a kind of like working class Joe uh, accent. Well, you, you Science called it out. happens. Okay. Question two. Uh, this is something I've just always been, I've wondered, right? You know, as COVID has evolved, there's always talk of variants being more contagious than a previous one, right? Something, you know, Omicron, when that popped off, when that dropped, when that remix album dropped, everyone was like more contagious. Um, but what's I the guess- new one? What's the what's the latest H something? So the newest one is EG5. I think there is a new one coming into the Jesus, fold. I'm Jesus. actually not sure what that one is called, but I do need to look into it because I was in a meeting at work this past week where it was vaguely mentioned, you know, in passing. Oh my goodness. But what does it mean when we say more contagious? Does it mean a shorter amount of exposure time, a lower amount of the virus? I mean, I don't know what it means. Yeah, so I'll take that one. Um, so let's, to put it all into perspective, um, <clears throat> we need to back up a little and start talking about the dynamics of disease transmission, mm-hmm. you know, for context, so we can describe the necessary components for developing an infectious disease as the epi- epidemiologic triangle, mm-hmm. which is the interaction between an infectious agent mm-hmm. like COVID, a host, and then the environment. And by environment, we mean the external factors that allow transmission to take place. And so when considering uh, the relationship the relationship between an agent and a host from an evolutionary perspective, viruses require not only a living host, but in many cases, an active host in order to optimize their ability to reproduce and spread because that's all viruses want to do. They just want to reproduce and they want to spread. Mm. And so horny, high they're horny. Virulent. Exactly. They're horny. They're horny. They're horny for you. They're horny for me. They're horny for <laughs> And so high virulence and virulence um, refers to the severity of uh, disease that can be produced by an agent is ultimately detrimental to the pathogen because if a pathogen has super high virulence and it kills its host, it's not going to effectively be able right. to reproduce and spread anymore. So over time, uh, typically it will evolve to a lower a lower level of virulence after those pathogens with high virulence are outcompeted by mutants uh, that cause less damage to the host. I see. Mm-hmm. And then so as virulence attenuates and the virus evolves over time to adapt to the host immune response, um, in particular in respect to you know vaccination, like in the case of COVID, um, the virus has to figure out how to outcompete the previous variant to become more transmissible. Good Lord. It's competing. Yeah. It's a competing mutant. You know, every word you say, I said it's too much. It's too much. 
<laughs> and so at that point, um, we can start to consider other agent characteristics beyond virulence. So namely infectivity and infectivity means likeliness to infect mm-hmm. and pathogens with high infectivity can cause disease with fewer organisms or viral particles um, in the case of COVID and those with low infectivity require a greater number of organisms in order to cause disease. So the current strain of COVID, like I mentioned, is called EG5. It's a descendant of Omicron and it's currently the dominant subvariant in the U.S. It infects more people than, than any other single strain at the moment. Mm-hmm. Um, and EG5 has one new mutation in, in its spike protein, which is the part uh, of the virus that facilitates uh, its entry into host cells. And this, muta- uh, this mutation allows EG5 to evade some of the immunity acquired after an infection um, or vaccination. Mm-hmm. And because, because the virus has evolved this way, SARS-CoV-2 um, which is, you know, the virus that causes COVID disease. The novel coronavirus. <laughs> mm-hmm. And that's an important distinction when we talk about the virus itself. That's SARS-CoV-2 versus the disease the virus causes, mm-hmm. which is COVID. Mm-hmm. Um, so because the virus has evolved this way, SARS-CoV-2 can es- establish itself, itself within a human host um, with relative ease. And thus, because it's easy for the virus to do that, it requires less viral particles to do so. Okay. Um, so at at the same time, the data are that EG5 does not cause worse cases of COVID compared to prior variants. Um, so now let's go back to what your original question of what does more contagious mean in this context um, and whether this means the virus requires, you know, a short amount of time to establish an infection, like having a five minute versus 15 minute conversation, or whether it means fewer viral, part- viral particles are required to establish an infection. In short, the answer is yes to both. Uh, okay, so shorter <laughs> is, time, yeah. shorter amount of, like, shorter, um, fewer, fewer particles. particles. Shorter amount of time, fewer mm-hmm. particles. Exactly. These are essentially the same thing. Mm-hmm. So because the variance of SARS-CoV-2 has decreased over time as the virus has evolved, the infectivity has increased. increased. Uh-huh. Right, right, right. Because mm-hmm. we're living, so, we're walking around, we're coughing. It's giving the last of us, if you saw that show. Okay, okay, I see. I see. Yep, so... Exactly. So that means that now fewer viral particles are required to be transmitted, you know, person to mm-hmm. person in order to cause infection because, you know, fewer viral particles are required, less exposure to an individual is required for that infection infection to be established. Okay. So that kind of brings us into mm. that next question. Um, and I would guess I would also, before we get like, you know, in these, we talked about indoor spaces, right? So in spaces like a comedy club, a movie theater, a show, you know, as we said, we're giving you masks, we're giving you a Novid, we're giving you CPC, but still not really hanging out in there. Do you know what I mean? Like, we're still not hanging out. Like, we don't go inside unless we have to. Yeah, I saw Barbie movie at home, okay? I didn't have to go in there and be part of Barbenheimer. <laughs> I'll tell you that right now. Um, but, like, I guess what I always wonder is, how well can a KN95 protect you against a mass of people? Yeah, that's, a, that's also a really good question, and I guess the long answer short is that masks are effective protection in indoor spaces and with large indoor crowds. Um, There are a lot of different articles that summarize this well. I particularly like one called What Doctors Wish Patients Knew About Wearing N95 Masks. And so a little bit more about N95s is that they're personal protective equipment or PPE that are used to protect the wearer from airborne particles or from liquid. 
-hmm. And the CDC, a National Institute for Occupational Safety and Health, regulates N95 respirators. And the fit for an N95 is really important because it fits so snugly against your face. And there are many different brands and models and sizes. So for workers who are required to wear these for work, being fit tested is really important to maximize protection. But since uh, can I most you for a people, second? yeah, of course. So do you think when, when someone's like, uh, I wore an N95 inside and I still got sick. Do you think when they say that it just means that they didn't really fit test their mask? It could be. And it's not foolproof for sure. Um, and fit testing, there are a lot of demos online that you can find where you can see how the seal should fit and have a look at it yourself. But, you know, it is effective. There are many mistakes people make when wearing masks too. So if somebody was wearing an N95 and they didn't dispose of it after use, or if they touched the front of the mask when they were taking it off and then touched their face, Mm -hmm. that can, can also perpetuate, you know, I was wearing an N95, but still got sick. Of course, the probability, even with masking, is not zero, that you will never get sick. But then using a mask appropriately with the with a good fit and then taking it off correctly, using it single use, all help. Right, 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 uh-huh. right. Okay, that, to- that taking off and then touching your face. I will say, and I don't know if you feel this, Zoe, as a fellow spectacles wearer, it really helps me. Like, I don't really go at my eyes simply because they're, you know what I mean? Like, they're already kind of blocked, and that helps me, like, not touch my face way more. And, like, I don't obviously dig in my nose. So, like, that helps the process of not. But right, I completely agree. Yeah, wearing glasses and, like, uh, and then wearing, especially an N95, I'm like, ah, oh, my face is nice and <laughs> Right, exactly. <laughs> so then would you, do you guys, just out of curiosity, um, have you gone to the movies? Have you gone to see a show? What's, like, what are you guys doing in your lives? Knowing what you know. <laughs> yeah, so... I'll admit, I, as far as I know, I've never had COVID, mm-hmm. as far as I know, at least, you know, not symptomatic COVID. And I'm up to date on all my vaccines. I received my, you know, fifth dose of the vaccine in October. Yeah, girl. And so, because, <laughs> which we highly uh, advise everyone do. Actually, I was in a meeting at work earlier this week where um, someone who's, you know, a big infectious disease doctor where i work mentioned how only 13 percent of people in the u.s have received this updated new, vaccine mm. yeah vaccine i know mm-hmm, so, i know yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah, it, but, but also uh, right isn't the rule too sorry to interrupt you this idea is like it's not a booster it's an updated vaccine covid be remixing you need the new one <laughs> exactly exactly um but anyway because of all of this it's possible i've gotten a little cocky i still you know when it comes to attending indoor gatherings, I still care, of course. I'm not just going to put myself into any environment, you know, willy-nilly. But I personally take into consideration what the event is and who's hosting it. Are you going to go see a band that's been vocal about the importance of getting your COVID vaccine? Are you going to go see Dix the Musical? <laughs> and, you know, for the most part, you know, people in the movie theater are, you know, fingers crossed, going to be made up of like-minded people who, you know, hopefully are on the same page when it comes to the importance of common sense COVID precautions. Like, you know, I'd, 
for me, it's just about taking into account, you know, what's the context here? Okay, you like, trusting you know, people I... too much. You trusting people more than I do, Zoe. I said everybody I mean, lawless. Yeah. I said everybody's selfish, <laughs> everybody lawless. What do you think, Mishi? <laughs> I have been vaccinated as well, so that's really excellent protection. So lately, I, I started, I was not masking everywhere last summer and up through the fall. But I actually had the flu last fall, and I've gotten a couple of illnesses that have not been COVID. So I've been really careful recently, now that numbers are taking up in all respiratory viruses, to mask whenever I can in public. Uh, And I have a KN95. It's really common that I use. Mm -hmm. Um, They come in great colors here. I don't know about the states, but... You know, I have my pink ones and my blue ones and, <laughs> and my green ones. And, and so I can kind of match it, which is cool, and make sure to use one use. Um, because oh, even uh, though I have been vaccinated, my immune system is not quite as good as Zoe's. I have ha- had COVID once, and it was really miserable. Even though I was at that point, um, I had had the initial vaccine and two boosters. Okay. Uh-huh. Yep. So. I- out of curiosity, when you're, you know, you said you have your KN95, are you the only, like in Germany, I'm just kind of wondering what's going on. Do other people mask or is it people just over there, you know, because obviously I think of the U.S. as like, we've said fuck it, but maybe other countries have to. Actually, um, masking is not quite as common here either okay. from what I've seen in my day-to-day life. Um, mm. Just folks aren't, it's mm. masking as much as they were a couple years yeah. ago, right. for sure. So I'd say in that way, it's a little bit similar. Is there, I mean, I don't know how you can answer this, but I'll ask it anyway, just because it's been rattling around in my head. Is there going to be a tipping point? I keep telling Naomi, I'm like, (laughs) it can't go on like this. Like you can't get infected with this virus. You can't get, you can't get it like a hundred times and be alive. I mean, I don't know if that's true, but like there's some limit to where it it shreds your immune system. immune system, right? I mean, doesn't it like damage your immune system er- uh, permanently every single time you get it? I've read, maybe this is not consensus, but I read a scientific study about it. Is it T-cells? What is the thing? Am I, maybe yeah, I'm- T-cells, because I heard like, it has mm-hmm. a similar T-cell. effect as AIDS in terms of what it can do to your immune system. But you guys tell us. You're the professionals. See, that's really interesting. Actually, I'd be interested if you could send me that article because I haven't read that and I, I don't doubt it at all. And I feel like at this point, you know, there is no scientific consensus about what the long-term effects are COVID on any, you know, body system, including your immune system. In terms of the tipping point, I don't know. Yeah. Um, I mean, as time goes on, COVID has been transitioning to be endemic rather than, you know, a pandemic. And, you know, with that, there's an assumption that COVID, you know, and I'm sure we've all heard this many times that COVID is, you know, essentially, eventually going to be just like the flu. But the flu um, doesn't so. make your teeth fall the out. Flu the flu is not flu, a vascular no, disease. The flu this didn't is the make problem that I sign. have with it is that COVID is a vascular disease, not a... Not like we all thought at the beginning of respiratory disease. So it's not mm-hmm. like it is just like, oh, I got the flu. Oh, it sucked. But like, I'm I feel OK yeah, now back. afterwards. The the fact that there is viral persistence and that it sticks around and that it fucks up your organs or can. I'm not saying it does. I'm saying it can uh, in and mm-hmm. many people statistically. I don't. And again, maybe Misha, you can tell me what are the what's the statistical probability that it's going to fuck up your heart or fuck up your brain or <laughs> whatever. I don't think you can. But we know gotta... that, like we we know that it's a vascular disease at this point, and that I think there 
you can tell me, but I believe there is consensus around that, 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 that it's classified that way. And that's the part where I'm just like, I'm like, you can't, I, like, I can't call it the flu because the flu yeah. did not make Paul Simon mm-hmm. deaf. Okay. Yeah. That man's a national treasure. Now he can't hear after the cocoa. Yeah. Like how, talk many, about it. how many musicians now have tinnitus? After tinnitus, mm-hmm. how, how, however many have. I think it's technically tinnitus, yeah. but that just oh, sounds Oh, wow. Weird. I, I know it does. That. That's why I like stop myself. It I'm feels like, like a British pronunciation. Right. You know? Yeah, it does. Exactly. <laughs> uh, but yes, but like how many, how many touring musicians now have tinnitus after, you know, mm-hmm. having COVID like, you know, 30 times or whatever? I mean, that's I mean, exactly That's a probability I don't know for sure. <laughs> I know a lot of probabilities off the top of my head, and I'll need to look into that one. <laughs> well, but I, I guess that is, I mean, and I don't even want you to exaggerate, Andy, when you say thirty times I know, or hundred. I know. Times. I want to like, stay. I want to stay grounded in the I fact know, that it's been I three know. years, and we could talk four times or five times. I guess my question is. As we're saying, and you seem to agree, this is a vascular disease. It can have long-term effects on every organ in your body, potentially. That is different than a cold or a flu. Why isn't that more widely known and touted? (laughs) I want to leave the silence in here. I'm not cutting this silence out. So I would say that there are quite a few ongoing studies for long COVID. And the question that I've gotten a lot from people I care about is whether or not they're more likely to have a cardiovascular issue after the vaccine or after getting COVID. And I always find that really interesting because the vaccine is quite safe. It's been thoroughly tested and there are pieces of literature reviewing side effects as well as some longer term effects of the vaccine that are possible but not probable, right? Mm-hmm. Whereas COVID, it is a lot higher if you are, if you've cleared a COVID infection. Um, mm-hmm. So I'll pass it off to Zoe to see if she has anything about long COVID or about the classification of COVID in general, because I do think that's important and it is a different virus than the flu, but in the way that yeah. endemicity works with infectious disease agents it is becoming more endemic so i think that that's why they're compared frequently now even though they are different pathogens and they are different illnesses right and exactly that's what i was when i mentioned the flu that's exactly what i was referring to the endemicity you know the of covid being transitioning to being endemic rather than pandemic um you know it's no longer disrupting hospital systems as much as it used to Um, You know, with vaccination, it's no longer causing, you know, excess mortality like it was, you know, three years ago, etc. In terms of classifying COVID as a vascular disease, I've got to say, I don't believe there is at this point in time a scientific consensus on that. I know that, you know, from what what I understand and from the research I've done, um, that COVID is considered a vaccine. respiratory disease that can have serious effects on the vascular system. At this point, there's, again, no scientific consensus on why that happens, who that happens to, you know, when that happens, etc. I know long COVID, there's still not really a set definition of what long COVID entails. Mm. You know, there's no real understanding of, you know, does long COVID, is is Does someone have long COVID if they've 
continued having symptoms for X amount of time, if they have this symptom, this symptom, this symptom, there's just so much unknown and so much messiness Mm -hmm. that I, I I gotta say, that's probably why there isn't, you know, like a blanket statement coming from, you know, science and medicine and the government saying, you know, this is how it is. Cause at the, no one really knows COVID has just been evolving in so many ways, you know, the virus itself, you know, and what we know about it, it's evolved in so many ways, you know, over time that, I mean, no one really knows anything, basically, is the long and short of it. I was reading a really interesting piece about long COVID in children, because it's actually harder to capture their finding, from what I understand, in children sometimes, because children communicate about symptoms differently than adults do. And they don't always understand that they were sick, and now it's ongoing. Um, so that's really interesting, too, is um, younger populations versus older populations and then looking through the different age demographics and long COVID. I mean, to me, I guess, but even you saying this, because in this moment, like I get a little sad that we don't have more answers. But I think it's also to me, that's even more reason to be careful, because what you're basically saying mm-hmm. is, right, this is a new disease mm-hmm. on the block. There's a lot we don't know. And because there and then you have the other layer of politiz- politicization that is then made it hard to even say it out loud, right? Like whatever the findings are and kind of that, I guess that's for me, one of the reasons where I'm like, I don't want to get the, the new, I don't want the new disease. I, I, I want to get sick once we have cures. I only want to get sick with things. That again, have cures. I'm still going to go back to the fact that it is still classified by the CDC as a level three biohazard, regardless of endemicity. I don't think flu HIV is level two. I just want to put that out there <laughs> that if you look at the CDC's website, HIV is level two. COVID is level three. Do with that knowledge what you will, folks, listeners. <laughs> listeners, because the epidemiologists know. Because let's, okay, so let's get to our next. Well, wait, can I ask one question then? Is it possible, if this is something that because of um, either the the way the virus has evolved in combination with the lax policy, lax policies of the government to communicate or enforce precautions like forcing masking in public places or whatever like that. Is it possible that there, that like the flu, there will be a vaccine that prevents a hundred percent transmission or is it always going to be like, well, because it keeps evolving the vaccine, you know, it, it it prevents death and hospitalization, but it doesn't necessarily prevent you getting in. It doesn't necessarily prevent long COVID. Is that is is it? I mean, I don't know if you know if you can answer this, but is it possible that there could be a vaccine that prevent that one hundred percent prevents transmission? So the flu vaccine actually doesn't one hundred percent prevent transmission. That's what I was going quite to say. a bit Jesus. lesser but it's still effective because of the percent that it does prevent um, mm-hmm. and because it can lessen the severity. So the flu strain vaccine is really interesting. I think Zoe probably knows more about this than I do, but they change the vaccine from year to year based on predicting what the flu pattern will be and what the strain of the flu will be in the coming year. So the flu vaccine is not 100% efficacy. In fact, few vaccines are 100 Mm percent i think i would need to look into that some more but they Mm do most of them do offer high amounts of protection and it is certainly possible that there could be 
COVID vaccines in the future that offer higher and higher amounts of protection. Yeah. And I think one of the biggest takeaways from this conversation should be that science and statistics just do not operate at 100% Mm. or 0%. Yeah. So, you know, unfortunately, there's no guarantees that we can make about anything, whether it's, you know, prevention or, you know, risk, anything like that. Yeah. I think my, the way we operate is like, how asymptotically close can we get to zero risk? And sometimes it's, you know, somewhat close, but sometimes <laughs> the it's, you know, the curve is going mm-hmm. somewhat high. Well, but. I I guess too, right, given that COVID mutates so quickly, because we really are at a, every six months, you got to get something. Whereas as you say, you know, flu is once a year, you know, when it's flu season, like if I knew it was just COVID season, I would just be in the house for COVID season. You know what I mean? <laughs> but because it's like no set time. And I guess, do you think that that has to do with its um, constant evolution in terms of variance, the constant mutation, I mean. Sorry, could you repeat the question? Well, I guess the effectiveness the f- of the vaccine is mm. that largely mm-hmm. due to the constant mutating? Um, I would say so, yes. So, you know, for example, I was mentioning, you know, the mutation on the spike protein um, with this new variant. I mean, I think generally you could say yes. Um, you know, as the muta- as the virus mutates, um, you know, it's out competing, as I mentioned mm-hmm, before, mm-hmm. previous variants, and it has to evolve with how our immune systems are evolving and how, you know, and with how the vaccine is being introduced into the population that affects uh, the virus. So there's, there's sort of this, you know, arms race between, you know, the virus right. and our immune system and our immune system also includes the vaccine. So I would say yes for that. Uh-huh. Okay. Well, and especially now, mm-hmm. I mean, I say, and I kind of want to underline that because as you said, only 13% of the, of, people have gotten the new vax, which gives it a more of a chance to mutate, right? If my basic science 101 exactly. is, if I remember science 101. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, so one of the things, obviously, you know, we live in LA, that can help us in these colder months in terms of just being able to be outside. But one of the things, you know, because everyone's like, being outside is safer and like, you know. Safer. Safer. But like, how is that impacted by variables like wind and temperature? Like if Humidity. It's, yeah, like things where, you know, have you been outside on like a muggy day with like literally like the phrase, the air is still, yeah. is something someone well, said. I read uh, an epidemiologist who wrote a thread I'm that- fully they, in my question. Go ahead. They did a study in a, I, I believe it was like a Korean night market. I'm not exactly, I can't remember, uh, sure. But basically like there was high transmission. Uh, only a few Even people were masked. outdoor market. Uh, because uh, the humidity was a certain- amount and there were the 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 stalls had like overhangs and so breath collected under the overhangs and then the air kept it still so people were just walking through stuff so there are even contexts i want them to tell me I know what you. But that was a. But this is the thing. What happens is I read a single context where they do (laughs) a single study, and I'm like, now I'm walking. Like last night, I was walking Mabel, and a group of people. uh, I was walking our dog, and a group of people walked past, and I had to walk through them, and I held my breath, (laughs) and I was like. I don't, again, I'm like, well, can I get it just from like walking past someone outside? (laughs) I don't. What are we, what are we thinking in terms of the variables when we talk about outdoor safety and how that's impacted? Yeah. So, so first I want to highlight that the environmental drivers of COVID transmission are not well understood at this time, but there is a lot of ongoing research. So going back to that epidemiologic triangle, Mm -hmm. the interaction of a host, a pathogenic agent, 
and the environment that promotes disease uh, transmission. In the case of SARS-CoV-2, there is a growing wealth of literature on how specific environmental factors like climate, so temperature, humidity, air pollution, and the built environment um, affect viral transmission. So, you know, diving into it, there's specifically a growing body of epidemiological evidence to suggest that COVID transmission is more likely to occur at lower temperatures and at lower humidity. Oh, interesting. Um, mm -hmm. Studies from all across the world have found that the incident of COVID increases when the weather is colder, which can be due to a variety of factors, you know, including the fact that colder weather drives people indoors. Ah, Um, But we can also consider the effect temperature has on the structure of the virus itself. So coronaviruses are enveloped viruses, meaning that the virus itself has an outer membrane that that contains all of its genetic materials and its core proteins. And this um, outer membrane makes the virus more fragile and susceptible to heat as compared to non-enveloped viruses. Mm. So in this vein, um, a few studies have demonstrated that at lower temperatures, Specifically, the studies I read were using uh, four degrees Celsius, which is like refrigerator Mm -hmm. temperature. Um, The virus in that sort of environment at four degrees C, um, it was it improved the virus's ability to bind to a receptor called ACE2, which which is (laughs) which is that receptor is vital for SARS-CoV-2 to establish an infection in humans, and this was in comparison to um, 37 degrees Celsius, which is approximately human body temperature, um, which, you know, appeared to degrade the virus. Mm. So while lower temperatures seem to be beneficial to the integrity of the virus, on the other hand, you might prefer to also go out on a day where the wind is blowing, you know, directly into your face, which sounds contrary (laughs) to, you know, what you would think, but there is evidence to support that higher wind speeds improve the dispersion of particulate matter. Yep. And it seems to mitigate, you know, the the diffusion of COVID particles, um, while slower wind speeds generate a stagnation of particulate compounds, um, which are mixed with COVID, uh, SARS-CoV-2 viral particles. So when you were, you know, talking about when the air is still, that's exactly right. You know, the the COVID, the viral particles sort of just sit sit there, you know, in a whole mixture of, you know, particulate matter. Good Lord. Yeah. Sticking in particulate matter. (laughs) (laughs) Wait, can I ask? We have to go to a business lunch next week. And it's out. We outside. We we never we'll never eat indoors again. But I mean, it's outside of our apartment. I mean, but like it's outside. If I use, which is relative, relative. Again, I don't know the statistics. I don't know the like because it's epistemologically opaque. I don't know what the deal is. But let's say I use Anovid and then I use CPC mouthwash afterwards. Am I asymptotically? close to safe closer to, to safety safe? or you know just in a generalized if you had no other information besides like it's outdoors and we have I'm, no idea if these people are infected with covid or not and they may not know or would you say i should mask until i'm eating and again we need to impress these people so this is where it gets tricky <laughs> this is yeah we're like difficult. just with friends it if this just was just like, friends whatever. i just wear a mask until i'm eating but like, what do you think, Because <laughs> we will we will get to discussing Enovid, our thoughts on Enovid, and you know CPC mouthwash. Uh oh. You, know, you can't tell me they're bad um, now, honey, because I've I've fallen well, into. Well, we're not going to tell you. We're not going to tell you that they're bad. We're going to. We're you not going to draw any as, like firm conclusions. You know, we we did actually look into it because I think both of these are are newer and they 
have not been clinical trialed for as long. So Zoe and I didn't find as much literature in support of mouthwash and nasal spray. Um, so since, you know, it hasn't been endorsed by the FDA as I believe, Zoe, you saw COVID prevention. You can correct me if I'm wrong. Um, but it has, but they are, I believe, safe. We need to look a little bit more into that. It can't hurt. I found one, I found the- one NIH abstract about the CPC that was like, it breaks that envelope. So I was yeah, like, they're really, yeah, they're really, the literature is really sparse. So it, it's interesting that you asked that because it was a little bit of a good educational opportunity for me to, to, to dig into that literature. And, you know, as we said before, the probability of getting sick is never zero. You know, you won't absolutely not get sick eating lunch outdoors with other people and using uh, nasal spray and mouthwash um, after, before, um, when you typically use it. But that I don't think it can hurt you. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> I'll continue looking at that research for sure. Um, I thought that was really interesting. And keeping your mask on until you're eating also certainly can't hurt you since masks are very effective. So, you know, keeping your mask on until you're eating, eating outdoors, these are all factors that really help mitigate your risk of being infected. So since you have mitigation measures there, I think that that's great. You can't guarantee that you won't get sick. Um, vaccination still helps. Common sense COVID precautions still help. So as, as long as you're following those, um, you are being very conscientious and a good steward of public health, in my opinion. Well, Andy, we're good stewards. We're good stewards living in anxiety. How long after the Pfizer update can I get the Novovax? Do you know? Yeah. Have you read anything about the Nova and when you can get it if you've already gotten a Pfizer? No, I'm not sure about that. I know. We've only found one article that that was like one article. One from Yale. That said like Mm. two months after Pfizer, you can get Novavax. And I was like, but that's it. That's, that's the just only the one article. I don't know who that guy is. Can it hurt yeah. us to get it after, like, too close to another vaccine? So it won't usually, but in Germany, they actually had really strict rules in the past about if you had an infection, you had to wait a certain number of months mm-hmm. until you were vaccinated after that. And, you know, spacing between vaccinations. So I would certainly follow protocol for vaccination if you were recently vaccinated. Um you are considered up to date. Even though those are two so. different types. Yeah. Okay. okay. I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm writing this down. I'm going to look into this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Call your contacts. Call your inside contacts because I need <laughs> to know my layers. I'm like, because you know, I'll take any vaccine you give me. Okay. I'll take whatever. I say, shoot <laughs> it, I shoot it into my veins. I don't care. I don't ask questions. Um, yeah. Now, when I travel down to Africa, they have so many vaccines. Yes. But, you know, it's while I, you know, we'll research it more for sure vaccines do have some side effects so i would caution to go with the literature go with the current rules and zoe and i can look into that and get back to you and and i'll certainly ask around and see what i can find on the current situation with spacing between different vaccines thank you so much you know i'm obsessed with you but speaking of you know 
Speaking of sort of like this question around vaccines and what you can do, the other question of testing. Um, there has been, you know, rap, now PCR tests are not free. They're not low cost the way they were in the beginning. So a lot of us are relying on these rapid tests. But we also know the rapid tests are not highly accurate. So I guess I'm wondering, you know, what can we trust when it comes to testing? And can I add something qu- quick too? No, it's not that... They're, they're they're not highly accurate and also people don't know that to make them more accurate these days you have to do throat cheek and nose for the rapid tests and most people are just like doing the nose thing and they don't even get up in there i said get up in there i want you pulling out brain matter okay <laughs> i want you pulling out brain matter i shouldn't be able to talk after a good rapid test. yeah yeah i should have aphasia when i'm done with- <laughs> It's really, it's funny you say that because the first thing I always tell folks who are taking tests is read the instructions. It seems so simple, but you would never (laughs) believe how many adult human beings don't read instructions and just either go out their throat or go out their nose. (laughs) And, um, and the instructions are really useful and there for a reason. (laughs) But (laughs) one concept I always discuss related to any type of test you're taking is that in medicine, each type of test will have a sensitivity and a specificity. So definitionally, sensitivity is the ability to correctly identify patients with a disease. Mm -hmm. And specificity is the ability of a test to correctly identify people without the disease. So a true positive is where the person has the disease and the test is positive. Mm -hmm. And a true negative is where the test is negative and the person is negative. And this is as opposed to a false negative mm-hmm. or a false positive. Um, so in epidemiology, we have a little a square chart that shows the different outcomes for the different types of tests, as well as the percentages. And you can multiply it out and see the efficacy of each test. But obviously, when you're testing for COVID, PCR tests will be more sensitive and specific. They're not available at home. So antigen tests, if it's the best you can do, it's still better than not testing for sure. Mm -hmm. And what I try to advise is having a couple different brands or a few different brands on hand, read the instructions and take multiple tests. So if you're not feeling well, Um, then you Mm -hmm. can see if any of the tests detect a positive and then repeat that testing a day or two later once your symptoms progress. Okay. Exactly. The FDA has some good guidance um, for using at-home antigen tests um, that we both would recommend following. So just like Mishi said, you know, the first ones don't test too early. Um, So actually, Mishi, I don't think you did touch on this point, which is that, you know, if you know you've been exposed or suspect you've been exposed to COVID, um, you don't want to test right away. Um, You want to wait, you know, a day or two. You want to once you do start developing symptoms, um, and if you do test positive, you want to retest each day into the infection. And just like Mishi said, you want to have several tests on hand of different brands, you know, to improve the accuracy of catching a positive. And then, you know, you want to, if you have a PCP, you want to follow up with your PCP or go to your local pharmacy for a PCR test, you know, if you're able to do so okay so really well because i i think that's the thing you know so many nowadays right it's like take a rapid and come through and then if the rapid is negative someone's like okay there must be allergies oh i have a cold 
And so I think that is, I think that's another part of um, the trickiness or so the anxiety. Cause it's like, okay, mm-hmm. you can take a rapid. And as you said, you know, cause it seems to me the rapid is accurate once you're full blown sick, in which case you already kind of know. <laughs> like, you, have to, you just have to trust that this is the, this is the part where I'm just like, that that drives me nuts too. You have to just trust other people will like Mishu, like you said, will read the directions. <laughs> or will like use common sense stuff like, oh, all these people were coughing around me and I now have allergies. It's probably allergies. <laughs> like, like if someone I mean, look, this is like, uh, you know, I'm I'm living in a little paranoid kind of world, but like we were at the park last week with our friend who was as COVID conscious as us, someone across the park coughs and all of us, all three of us all turned of us to see how far away they were quick. We were like, like how far like, away at was the that same cough? Time, <laughs> and we're like, Oh, okay. Like that person's, you far know, away. we're clocking coughs in public now. <laughs> I'm coughing. I'm listening to these old philosophy lectures from the early nineties and I'm clocking coughs in the audience from this. <laughs> that's before. That's when a cough just maybe, you know, uh, you know, at the worst was you're going to get a cold or something like that. Maybe, yeah. you know, it's really like I, I, I think what what this has really done is eroded my ability to trust anyone outside of Naomi. <laughs> yeah, there's an erosion. There's an erosion there. I mean, but you seem to be living happy lives even knowing what you know are you are you living you're living lives are you living happy lives? Well, full <laughs> lives full lives i mean you're are traveling they? you're going places see i work from home me she's <laughs> the one doing all the traveling but yeah <laughs> i have to be in and at the office so um <laughs> yes i you know it's it's really heartening that you're very cautious and and that i hear stories of people who remain cautious about covid because you're absolutely right uh, it can have long-term effects and and it can be a very serious illness um so you know someone coughing across the park i totally get it it probably won't get you sick but i tend to turn around and you know look for the cough too it's (laughs) almost reflexive at this point i think to a lot of us to um to you know notice coughing more than we used to (laughs) Um, but you do trust an N95, like, cause that's what I'm also kind of taking away that like, even if we didn't do the Inovid and the CPC, which, you know, you're saying that you still haven't, um, seen a consensus on or FDA approval on. Yeah. But I think that again, I think stuff like FDA approval, again, I think if you know, you know, meaning like the only people who are looking for the Inovids and the CPCs are the people who still care and do not want COVID. And I don't think that's enough people to drive intensive study Mm -hmm. right i mean yeah the thing is you know as people who work professionally in the field of public health you know just because there hasn't been any sort of official consensus or approval um related to nasal sprays or mouthwash you know then we can't officially endorse it Mm -hmm. just because of course you never know i will say you know there's a lot of promising clinical research out there um a lot of other countries um, have done a lot more clinical research than the U.S. Um, I know Enovid is commercially available in Israel and Bahrain. Um, it's in phase three clinical trials, so it's being evaluated for its safety and effectiveness um, throughout Canada and the U.K., other countries. Um, you know, so there is, there does seem to be, you know, an understanding mm-hmm. globally of, you know, the potential usefulness and efficacy for sure. You know, these things. Okay. 
And is there any nasal spray that seems to, you know, because that's one that's nitric oxide, right? Anovid. Uh, if I'm uh, the the carrageenan is the nitrous. Or sorry, you're right. Yes, Enovid is the nitric oxide. Are, is there any? Yes. A, okay. can you use more? Can you use different sprays together? Do they do something weird? Well, do they rather, to- do are there any <laughs> sprays you know that have actually had, as you said, the research and the backing that you know about? Not necessarily recommend, uh, but know about. Yeah, I mean, seemingly Enovid um, has had the most research backing it. Um, I was looking into carrageenan as well. Carrageenan. So, you know, but like you said, is the nitrous oxide, the carrageenan is based on a polysaccharide um, extracted from an edible type of red seaweed. Hmm. Um, it's been studied since the 80s. And it has that one has demonstrated efficacy against, you know, a wide range of viruses and clinical trials. Um, so there is some good backing with that one as well. However, I did also come across um, a warning letter that the FDA sent to the manufacturers of the carrageenan nasal spray. Um they sent them a warning letter for making false claims because apparently the manufacturers have been promoting, um, you know, the carrageenan and nasal spray's ability to mitigate, prevent, you know, treat, diagnose, or cure COVID. Mm. And because, you know, the FDA has not approved of any of that and there have been no, you know, there has been no scientific consensus really, and especially in the U.S., there hasn't been any real you know, solid research done mm-hmm. on any of that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, sent them this letter and told them to retract and remove any mention of the nasal spray's ability and any of their products' ability to, you know, provide safety and effective uh, uh-huh. effectiveness against COVID. Yeah. Uh-huh. For any of my, my regulatory colleagues out there, it was specifically in violation of the 505, Section 505A <laughs> uh, Food, Drug, and Cosmetic Act. Shout out to 505A. <laughs> <laughs> but I guess what we're getting, though, is that you are relatively, with a, using a fit-tested N95 you are relatively safe. Yes, for sure. With a va- with up staying up to date on your vaccinations, wearing a fit tested N95, even wearing a KN95, you know, that provides great protection as well. How is that protection? Because obviously we talk about different types of masks and what works. If I'm in a situation where the people around me are in a surgical mask, but I'm in a KN95, like, because this goes back to what I was saying of sort of like... Talk about you were in the hair salon. Yeah, I was in the hair. As you can tell, my hair is looking very sleek, honey. I did end up going. I've been putting it off for months, <laughs> and I said I have to handle it. Um, and they require masks, so I was like, okay, I'm going to go. But then it was like surgical masks, and I said, girls, this is not it. And I was in a KN because I need my back of my head, you know, open so they can do my hair. With an air purifier. You know I have a purifier. CPC, you know I was layers and levels. The lady said, put that down. I'm trying to cut. She was mad at me. <laughs> But I guess I just wonder, but I guess, it, I mean, it goes back to my initial question about like kind of KN95 withstanding the part of the number of particles in the air. I guess it's as best as you can do. Yeah. I mean, so if you're an, an N95 or a KN95, I mean, you have really good protection, a surgical mask, um, you know, which are the disposable masks that you can find everywhere. They help reduce, they help reduce with the wearer puts into the environment if they're infected with COVID, but they don't prevent, um, they don't help prevent that wear from breathing in infectious particles in the air. Okay. Yeah. So statistically there's 
I would say a higher likelihood of the person wearing the surgical mask breathing in COVID particles in the air. However, it does reduce what that wearer is putting into the air. So if okay. they're, yeah, so if what they're emitting is being, you know, reduced and protected because of their surgical mask usage, and then you're wearing an N95 or a KN95, um, you know, which is the gold standard, then you are pretty safe. Okay. I don't know if you can answer this, but why do you think medical professionals have been, I assume they're reading, now look, I know a lot of, I call doctors flesh mechanics these days, but like, why, why do you think they have just been like, like I, what I was about to say was I I stopped myself. I assume they're reading some of the same stuff you do, but then I'm like, maybe they, they don't, they're not scientists. Why do you think they've abandoned like Naomi was I was in the ER recently and you know I was in the ER in my N95 and everybody around me was either unmasked or surgical mask and I said y'all lived through the worst of it we were banging pots and pans for y'all and I, I, I was just shocked by and that and they in fact said oh you don't have to wear a mask yeah, and then I was me. like please put on a mask well, I probably said, hey, put on a mask. Oh, yeah. He I was probably was not. I, was probably I told Andy more. to leave. I said, Andy, don't yeah. yell at them. They have to keep me alive. I was probably more rude <laughs> I was than like, don't was yell at them. But. but what, like, I mean, and again, I don't know sort of the relationship between epidemiologists and doctors, you know, with patients. But do you have any idea? <laughs> <laughs> well, firstly, I'm really glad you're okay, too. Um, Thank you. Sorry, Thank you. Oh, yeah. I'm <laughs> really sure. glad that you're feeling better. And, you know, Zoe can speak to on this more than I can in some ways, but medical professionals often study public health. It should be more, it's not required, but it's also not uncommon. Um, So there's actually quite a bit of overlap there. Um, You know, per the masking, I would hope, you know, that medical professionals are also up to date on the literature and research. They're probably also fully vaccinated. Um, Can't attest to vaccination plus the efficacy of a mask being better well that obviously would be more protection right but they probably are presuming that their vaccination status will maintain the proper amount of protection can i tell you can i tell you my nurse the woman who came in there she told me she goes i've had covid three times oh yeah i have permanent nerve damage it hurts to stand that's what her ass told me and i said get out of here I said, I don't need you in my room. You can't stand up. And you're like, I was like, you're telling me that you suffer permanent nerve pain such that it's difficult to do a basic task like standing. And yet you don't have anything on your face. I was back. So I can speak to this um, also, which is that so recently there was a meeting of the CDC's Healthcare Infection Control Practices Advisory Committee, or HICPAC, and HICPAC's job is to essentially write all the infection control guidelines for all healthcare facilities across the U.S. You know, to utilize. They basically write the you know the bible mm-hmm. of infection control that every healthcare center adopts. And HICPAC hasn't met since 2007. They just met earlier this year, I think over the summer. Oh, Jesus. And and their conclusion and their guidance documents basically said COVID no longer has no COVID no longer is designated as a disease that requires any sort of respirator usage in healthcare settings. 
Um, they say that it's, you know, basically, I wish I had the actual, you know, outcomes in front of me right now so I could, you know, better speak to this. But from what I recall that they said, you know, COVID, um, you know, they basically put COVID in like, a, oh, it's just like the flu, like a kind of category and said, yeah, no, you no longer require wearing a respirator, surgical mask only, and only diseases of, I think they called it pandemic potential required respirator usage in healthcare settings. And I know a huge, there's a lot of, you know, understandable backlash about the conclusions that they had. Um, there was also a lot of criticism that there are a lot of individuals not invited to the table, mm. um, you know, when they devise these new guidelines and that there's just, you know, a lot of information missing. Um, so, but you know, that just happened earlier this year. That, and did think, the members of HICPAC, do they get hit in the head with a cinder block before they did this? Like, what is the, I just, it's, it, yeah. there are certain things like, I understand there being like, First of all, that's ignoring the scientific data of all the stuff that you have both talked about this last hour. What, the the main thing, you know, there's a lot of fuzziness when it comes to you know the the reality of like how of knowledge. And I mean, this is a philosophical thing we can talk about <laughs> offline. Like, but like there is a lot. Like when you talk about knowledge, there is a lot of like, well, you know, you, here's what we can kind of like. No, here's what for real, what we kind of know. But w the one thing you have both said repeatedly is masks work to mitigate COVID and that it COVID is an airborne disease and that it is still around and mutating all the time, right? That's the thing that you, that repeatedly you're like, this is, there's consensus yeah, about fact. this. We know this, we know like this, this is not anecdotal. And I can tell you anecdotally, I see people sick around me all the time now in a way mm -hmm. that they weren't before 2020. Well, and I don't, it doesn't necessarily, and, and whether that is, again, I'm not, I'm going to be agnostic. I'm not going to be like the QAnon freak who is like when someone's like uh, a famous person has like a heart attack, they write vaxxed on Twitter <laughs> or something like that. I'm not going to be the QAnon freak, but let's, let's talk about how at the very least anecdotally more people in their twenties to forties are having strokes and heart attacks and without with being agnostic as to why, because there is no consensus yet, but let's just say, yeah, that is happening. We can figure it out. Okay. And knowing all this stuff, how do you not, how does a, how does a, a, a governmental body irrespons like I will say irresponsibly not say in a, in a hospital you should wear a mask and then 95 because even if you didn't care about the humans who need medical care uh, you I would assume you want your doctors to stay alive like wealthy people they're, they're, <laughs> like you would be wealthy like people are surrounded by people in masks all the time like they're not dumb like we have you know you can look at hashtag Davos safe to see what billionaires do to protect themselves because they know this is real so like what is going on that the governmental bodies are just like, man, eh, whatever. I mean, that's why there's been a lot of backlash about this. No one really, no one really knows what happened. Yeah, but they don't like. They don't, they don't like what it. happened. That's it's so. That's very disheartening. So, you know, as we talk, you know, we're winding down, and we just want to, you know, appreciate you kind of talking about this. But I guess we're, we're, I think part of why we wanted this conversation, why I think a lot of our listeners appreciate us talking about COVID, is because there is this sense that it's like, all right, move on. It's kind of over. And then the onus becomes on each individual to protect themselves. 
And that feeling can be very isolating. Also, this feeling of, I'm constantly screaming. Like, it's, it reminds me of, um, what was it, Will Ferrell, I think, in Zoolander, where he's like, I feel like I'm taking crazy pills because you're doing this thing, but everyone around you is not. And they seem to be trucking along fine. And I really, I wonder if there is, I wonder if people are like, I know that it seems to me more and more that like parents have had to been the first people who just like kind of dissociated because they can't control how their kids. And so they were the first people to just like fully dive into denialism <laughs> and just be like, everything is fine with like wide eyes. And just like, can't. We're yeah, all, your we're kid all, needs to go to school. Can't, <laughs> so they like, can't control unless they're going to homeschool their kids. Uh, and then, it's slowly been like that Ionesco play rhinoceros where just like more and more people are just like, yeah, it's okay to become a rhinoceros. Well, I I think my big is, and again, you guys have to help me <laughs> and tell me, and you may have to tell me later, like without being able to wear a mask, is there anything I can do to protect myself on a film or television set? The silence. Is um, I can chime in first. I didn't want to interrupt Zoe. Um, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> I, so physical distancing uh, is also a factor that can help. So physical distance from other people. It can also be called social distancing, but um, physical distancing is the more direct term. And the ventilation, <laughs> excuse me, the ventilation does matter as well. So I'll punt it to Zoe because I know we've already talked about vaccination, common sense, precautions. So those are great. Also, um, do you have anything else, Zoe, that I'm missing? Um, yeah, just to touch a little bit on ventilation. I mean, ventilation is key. I know, you know, when you're on set, you can't control what the ventilation, you know, specs are. Um, I know you mentioned air purifiers. I think those are a personal air purifier is great. Um, you know, ventilation really is key. Um, yeah, but there's just, not you much. know, there's not much. Cause like one of the things like physical distancing, one of my bigger things, like when you're on set, like someone comes and touches up your makeup, you know, like the hair and makeup people mm-hmm. and they're in your fucking face all day. And it's like, that's their job. They're not like, I'm not saying that, but I'm like, this person is literally in my face, two inches from me, breathing on me. As this, they put lipstick on. By, and I'm like, there's this is what no I meant way to by avoid tipping it. point, though. Because at some point, does it not become more expensive to have to shut down your production than it does to have to require? But not the, necessarily, right? And if we stop testing for COVID, then nobody, quote unquote, has COVID. But at some point, right? someone's because going to, uh, statistically, you would think someone's going to be too, someone important is going to be too sick. Statistically. Maybe. I don't know. I think. Co- quote, right. unquote, important. What I mean is like. High enough on the Obviously, like, everyone, every human being is important. Actually, probably, uh, I would say, the wealthier you are, the less important. But (laughs) that's just my own bias. But, like, you know, like, a a production, like an executive, if if, uh, the person who's in control of uh, craft services is sick, they'll say, fuck them and get someone else. But if the star of your show is sick, you can't do it. That's what I'm saying. Is like No, I understand that. You would think. But again, we're in crazy town now. So everything, every rational thing you think is kind of upside down. Right. I mean, when I was in grad school, a big takeaway I had, you know, learning about public health is that basically we live in a society where we don't emphasize prevention. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's just a big, you know, a big point of all of this is that 
prevention is not is not on anyone's mind really at this point it's you know it might take getting to that point where a big star becomes critically ill that people jump into action um you know i unfortunately prevention measures just aren't taken as seriously as they should be Mm, yeah so you're saying we should do our best to get concentrated amounts of covid get them in the faces of the most (laughs) wealthy famous actors to force don't you get them fired don't you get them fired i'm not endorsing that i'm not endorsing that at all that's not what i meant (laughs) just that that could statistically happen Uh and when it does then maybe something Mm -hmm. you know would come of that but yeah. you know, uh, it would it would take something like that to happen. I'm surprised that hasn't happened already, to be honest. Yeah. But yes, you're right, Zoe, and and I concur. Yeah, it I mean, probably has. They just haven't talked about it. We're right because I think people have gotten sick and maybe things have been triggered by COVID. And this is, I guess, what I'm. This is why I was so curious about long COVID because it does seem like from a from a individual doctor standpoint, they're not making that connection like for instance when andy when wanted to go to his doctor after getting covid to be like hey can i get some blood work can we kind of like look at whatever i want to get like i'm like i know that there are certain things like it has the possibility of giving you blood clots and i want to have i think that it's called a d-dime is that the test right for yeah, something and then yeah and then that's linking yeah back to discussing how it has how covid can have you know vascular yeah, implications exactly yes. mm-hmm. and the doctor's like oh you don't have to worry about that and then our and our doctor, you know, they don't require masks anymore. So I have not had my physical <laughs> this year. And I'm just like trying to find a COVID safe. We found a COVID safe dentist. But, uh, that, amazing. but that kind of thing of like, you know, I guess we're now relying on not, as you said, prevention, but then you're relying on individual medical professionals, a lot of whom aren't giving us the information period, but certainly not the same information. Yeah. We're just here to like, I either want to pay off my medical bills or buy a boat. Like that's (laughs) their, that's, that's, that's what they're here for. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So, okay. So uh, before we go, if you don't, if you, if you don't mind just uh, uh, bearing with us just for one, one more moment. Oh, uh, absolutely. uh, You you mentioned how you had talked, uh, you had done research or you looked at long COVID stuff earlier. Um, and I want to know if you could talk about that just a I little bit. I thought they already covered it, but is there something else? Did we miss something? If there's anything, like, you know, if you have, yeah, like, kind of our... Yeah, did we miss it? I guess then, did we miss anything? Yeah, because, you know, Mishi came ready. Mishi I thought, said, I well, have a script. What, I thought Mishi had some prepared <laughs> information about long COVID, but maybe I'm, maybe we already... So I did a broad literature review, and, and there, I do have information, but not written down uh, probability-wise within the populations. I can mm-hmm. certainly get that to you. It is something being studied. I think we hit on that it was being studied, that we are seeing cases of long COVID, so it does seem to be occurring in, in populations, and that it differs between different age groups and, of course, across the different factors that I discussed earlier um, that have to do with COVID infections. I, I When I had COVID, I had long COVID for for months, um, really fatigued, um, didn't feel myself. I would get home, go to sleep, sleep till dinner, eat, and then go back to sleep. And, and it was really quite miserable. And mm. I'm heartened to see that there are ongoing studies. I can certainly send you more information. And I think that as we see more cases of COVID, we'll also see more cases of long COVID, unfortunately. 
Um, of course. They sure. will likely spend together. time goes on. Right, exactly. It's like you don't know it's long until you've had some time. And it's yeah. like we're only three years into this thing. And sort of, I guess, yeah. Like, So are you finding, because you know you guys are researching – and I guess what the one the heartening thing is it does seem like people are actually researching this and people are working actively to connect these dots. Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. Because I guess that's what I'm saying. It's like it feels like no one is kind of trying because we want to just quote unquote get back to normal that you don't get the sense that I'm like, has the research, you know, has the funding dried up? It is no one. No, I, actually, I, I know that there are a few different very, very large uh, clinical trials that are ongoing that are specifically targeted at, you know, looking at, at long COVID. Mm-hmm. Sorry, my, I don't know if you could hear that. My dog is in the background <laughs> asleep and I think she's dreaming. <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, there's, there's a ton, maybe not a ton, but I know that there's very large clinical trials specifically looking at, at long COVID or also known as uh, post-acute sequelae of SARS-CoV-2, PASC. So you might find, if you're trying to look into it, it might say PASC trial, mm-hmm. something like that, instead of long COVID. Mm-hmm. But there's definitely a lot of ongoing research for sure. Okay. Okay. And yeah, so- Lily's absolutely correct. And one item I was thinking about, Andy, that you mentioned earlier that might help a little bit is if you find a doctor you really like, um, it might be worth discussing You know whether they can wear a mask when they're in the office with you. It might feel like it's difficult to do, but it's a conversation where if you have a provider you're comfortable with and you have risk factors for COVID or it's something that you're conscientious about and it's important to you, um, you can talk to your doctor about it. It's not ideal that you would have to do so, obviously, but preventive medicine is very important as well. So making sure you get in for annual physicals. I know Zoe was talking about prevention and how our society maybe doesn't focus on as much on prevention as we should. Mm-hmm. Um, pre- preventative medicine is important. So making sure you get in for the physical, talking to your doctor about masking, because you certainly don't want to, you know, be missing any other health um, concerns that you might have because yeah. right. of avoiding the doctor each right. year. Yeah. So. Well, I mean, I got to get a colonoscopy. I'm of that age and uh, <laughs> I, I'm not, I can't figure out how to do it with them and keep a mask on. So I, th- I think that's the problem is stuff like that where I'm like, I don't not. I, I think it's very, I don't think I'm crazy to be like, I don't want to be in a hospital unmasked. I don't think I'm a lunatic for saying that and trying to figure out the, the places where, Again, if the if the takeaway from this is at the is at the very least mask work or that like statistically it's going to be uh you, you're you it's not foolproof but like it is statistically going to keep you asymptotically safe, and right? I, that, you just love saying asymptotically. You've well, been bringing I, it into the loop like so much, and I'm well, obsessed. Yeah, <laughs> um, but no, I think so. It's like the takeaway is masks work, and also the takeaway I'm also getting is like. This is still a new disease with a host of consequences we have yet to fully discover. Full stop. We got one of the epidemiologists says she had the long cocoa. I mean, come well, on. Wait, Mishi, can I ask you just a personal question then? You know, knowing that you had long COVID, right? And that you do take precautions still, but like you said, you've been a little more like open to doing things. Or more relaxed. Like what is the, what is the kind of like decision tree in your head where you're like well i know that i had this and it was awful and it 
took months to for me to recover from what is going like what 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 are your decisions like how do you make these decisions now where you're like i guess i'll go to see barbie yeah how do you move through the world so it's not really so much about barbie so much (laughs) in the public health field right so i'm with everyone who I know is up to date on vaccines. It's kind of like Zoe was saying earlier about calculating risk in your own head. Everyone I work with, which is primarily where I am indoors, um, is fully vaccinated or up to date on vaccination. Um, And they also are conscientious when sick. So it helps to know that. So that really does assist in my decision tree. I made sure to get the vaccine as soon as it came out. Um, and was approved for use. So I'm up to date as well. Mm-hmm. And that really does help. Although I have, as you said, been noticing more people coughing on public transit, more people coughing in the grocery store. Um, so in that case, you know, masking also helps. Well, right. Your, your cir- well, yes. I mean, that makes sense to me because your circle are, is full of people who are aware of this, right? You're closer, again, in work circle where you're like, okay, well, they know what's up. They're going to take tests. Are tests, are, are PCR um, more easily accessible in Germany, in Europe? Good question. Actually, uh, testing centers, I haven't noticed them as much this year. There used mm-hmm. to be testing centers where you could get PCR done or antigen yeah. or just antigen. They were all labeled. Um, this year, it's not that way. So mm-hmm. it's more just at-home testing that you're doing yourself. Yeah. So I see that's something that I've certainly noticed. And they're also not doing mass vaccination clinics this year. Um, In prior years, they had free COVID vaccines for everyone. You could come in between a certain group of hours and get your shot and then go. Um, Why not stop that? (laughs) So it's, it's really interesting. This year does seem different to me. And yeah. I've been primarily using my own advice with antigen at home tests. Mm-hmm. I have yet to test positive this year for COVID, but you know, when I did feel sick a few months ago or a couple months ago at this point, I was doing at home tests. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I see. I see. Naomi, can you just ask writers to write your character always wearing a mask? I would kind of love that if I could just be Carol said I don't trust these hoes because my character on the show was like very bitchy anyway. But I was like, I would love if my character said I don't trust none of y'all. But I think that's a perfect solution. <laughs> <laughs> but um, but okay. Last question then. All right, Naomi goes on set. She masks until she has to be talking. Okay, she uses CPC. She uses a Novid. We have we hire someone to walk around with UVC. <laughs> Hiring anyone to walk around with you. We UVC. could. Well, I mean, I, it would be financially difficult, but <laughs> I'm saying we could. Is she relatively, relatively, no. do you think she would no, be No, because okay? they're already saying they don't know about a Novid and CPC, so they can't speak to whether or not that's effective. Mm. We can't formally endorse it. Okay. We'll say that the, the research is promising. Okay. But we can't formally endorse it. Right. Research, so, research for UVC promising too? Yeah, so for sure, um, there have been a, some studies on the antiviral effects on UVC. It's mostly been, the research has mostly been in lab settings, um, you know, so it's in a very controlled laboratory environment, which doesn't necessarily translate um, into, you know, the real world with all its limitations. Um, 
but at least, you know, there is promising research out there for sure, even if it's just in a laboratory environment. Yeah. Yeah. And then, <sighs> you know, in that context, though, if I'm if I'm working and I do have these potential exposures, which I won't know because testing is no longer part of the mix. And of course, you know, you've already said, Mishi, like statistically, we can't really game that. So it's just like, OK, we fly in blind. It would seem that then the next logical thing, too, would be to separate myself from Andrew during the course of shooting so as not to give him COVID for a second time. You see what I'm saying? Like, if I don't know what's up, I can't be coming home every day potentially full of the cocoa. So, you know, while it's not zero or 100 percent, I think that the gist is that you you can game it a little bit by taking precautions that Zoe and I have discussed. But if I don't. Right. So. Right. But if I don't have that ability, but at home, what if we had UVC <laughs> and we have our air, we have air purifiers in almost every room running. Maybe I think that and the windows open. I think that would mitigate it. And, and then if you started to feel sick and then you would just have to test. Yeah. If you're time. shooting. Yeah. I think the thing the would be like we get one of those like not Lucera, but like one of those kind of PCR quality tests. Yeah. Do you guys like any of that? You like a Lucera or any? I mean, I just realized, Mishi, it's like time for her to go to bed. Oh, yeah, sorry. This is Germany time. <laughs> I done forgot. Okay, y'all, can we just thank you so much yeah, for coming here and sharing much. your genius so openly, so readily. We so appreciate you. Thank you so much for having us. Thank you so much for being such great stewards of public health. You guys are amazing. <laughs> and also, shout out, uh, Zoe, you said this was your first ever podcast. I hope it wasn't too painful. I hope it felt. No, <laughs> not at all. It was a delight. Thank you again so much. We really appreciate you having us. Yeah, we really appreciate you sharing your, yeah. your professional knowledge. Yeah, and so all the listeners, hopefully this was helpful to you guys. Uh, in summation, mass work. There's still a lot we don't know, and so it's worthwhile to stay prudent. Okay? Yeah. Get the new vaccine. Get, Get the, the vaccine. new updated vaccine. Okay? Because COVID is remixing. EG5. Okay? All right, you guys. Right, we'll see you, see you later. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 